and one of our visitors this morning. Those that are watching online, we also want to welcome them as well. We appreciate them also as an opportunity that they have to be with us as well. Did you know that Jesus can make a profound, a profound difference in your life? No doubt uh, he's made a difference in the lives of so many people already. And we pray and hope that he will make a difference in your life today. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we see here the Apostle Paul helps us to understand the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of so many people. And so for just a minute or two this morning, we want to think about, first of all, living without God. What is it like to live without God? And really to live without God is to live without Christ. Now for many of us, that would be hard for us to understand. Now granted, uh, there was a day and a time in our lives when we were living without God and without Christ. But I want you to imagine, if you will, what it means to live without the Lord in your life. I want to begin by saying that when we reach a certain age, we have choices to make. We have the opportunity, the privilege to make the choice to either serve the Lord or to reject his will. Jesus would say in Matthew 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And the promise being, I will give you rest. It's hard to understand why some people would choose to reject God or Christ in their life. There are some folks that, for whatever reason, they just choose not to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was said of Jesus at one time that he came to his own, and his own even received him not, John 1.11. That is, his own Jewish people, his own people, and yet they were not receptive of him. In John 5.39 and 40, Jesus would say, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And so there were some even in the first century that had the opportunity to see Jesus, to hear him, to witness the great miracles that he had performed, and yet they still chose not to believe. They chose not to follow him. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus would say, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last. And so we have the opportunity to decide to follow him or to live without him. There are choices to be made. There is the choice of living without God, but then what about the condition of a person who chooses to live without God? The Bible talks about some of the things related to living a life without God. When you go back and you read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, here Paul, he would point out that a life without God is death. In other words, those who live without God... They are alive physically, but spiritually they are dead. And he would say, and you 
that he hath quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ezekiel would say in Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He repeated that in verse 20 as well, that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, right? And so literally those who choose to live without God, the condition of that individual for all intents and purposes is really a walking corpse. They are alive, but really they are dead spiritually. They are dead, but yet alive. And then secondly, it's a life of disobedience. Verse 2 of that text, Ephesians 2, Paul would say, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the wicked, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The, the idea is here is somebody who's living a disobedient life. They're living a life that is contrary to the, to the will of God and to the way of Almighty God. And Jesus emphasized the importance of obeying him. Over and over again in the gospel record, we find Jesus talking about the importance of, of doing the Father's will. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, when Paul talks about those who walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, it seems to me that they were living under the direction of the devil. They, they, that is the devil was the one who was reigning in their lives. He was the one who was ruling in their lives. And they're living in defiance and disobedience to Almighty God. But then there's a third thing that we notice here, and that is it's a life of despair. Look with me, if you will, to verse 11. Paul here, of course, is talking about the state of the Gentile world and God's plan prior to the foundation of the world. And that was to save both Jew and Gentile in Christ. And he makes it abundantly clear in chapter 3 as well. But here he talks about the Gentile state. Beginning in verse 11, notice, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel strangers from the covenants of promise now listen to him having no hope and without God in the world let me ask this question have you ever been in a situation where it looked hopeless? And, and really, I, I, I would add to that hopeless feeling, a, a helpless feeling. Have you ever been to that? Have you ever found yourselves in that situation? We go back and we reflect on the events of 9-11-2001. I'm sure if I was to go around the room, I would be able to find out from those that were actually living at that time. Uh, we have quite a few children that don't know what that is. But you could probably tell me exactly where you were and what you were doing at that particular time. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Memorial Hospital 
where one of our members was having open heart surgery. He's back there. Dr. Hedrick is, is operating on him, literally taking out his heart and redoing whatever had to be done. While all of a sudden, I hear a gasp. People were watching the television. It was a small television over there in, in kind of the corner where, from where we were. I was with the family. And we looked up and, and they were, there, was, there was a ball of fire coming out of one of the twin towers. And we're like, whoa, what's, what's going on? And all of a sudden we saw it and they're showing it. The other plane came and hit the other tower, another ball of flame. I don't know. I didn't know what to think. Is this the end of the world? I know a lot of people was thinking that. Is this that time that things are going to start happening? That, Well, we know that it was supposed to happen if it was the end of time in the twinkling of an eye. We would have never saw that second plane if that was the end of the world. Tower one fell after the smoke gushing and billowing out of the buildings. And then the second one fell. That was burned into my mind. And I'm sure it was into your mind as well. But was that some of those individuals, some on the rooftop, to think that others hanging out the windows, some plummeting to their death? Why? They were hopeless. They were helpless. They were without hope. Paul here is picturing the state of somebody who's without hope. And then not only is it a life of despair, it's a life of destitution. Listen to what he says. He says, having no hope and without God in this world. When Paul uses the expression without God, it's really one word in the original. And what it designates is the word atheos, which means godless or an atheist. Now somebody might say, well, I believe in God. I believe in, the, in the, the one true living God. I believe there's a God and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just because I've never obeyed him just doesn't mean that I don't believe in him. Well, that's true. But I think the point is here is that you're living as if there is no God because he is not the God in your life. I can remember so many times Eva Jane Methvin just out of the clear blue as we were talking, she just says, you know, the Lord has blessed me so much. And she goes, no, I, can't, I can't even fathom and understand how anybody can live in this life and not have God or Christ in their life. I'll never forget that. Because I think the same thing. I think the same thing. You're living without hope. And without God in your life. Now put the two together. You're living, but you don't have any hope. And you don't have God in your life. Why is it such a destitute state? Here are just a few reasons, if you will. Number one, if God is not in your life, how do you handle sickness? How do you handle sorrow? How do you handle sadness? I don't know. I mean, if God is not a part of your life... You don't have God in times of sickness. 
If you don't have God in times of sorrow, you don't have God in times of sadness. You don't have God for support at all. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13 about those who would live a life of unbelief? Where God said that I would never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say that the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Those who are without hope and without God, they don't have him for support. In times of sickness and sorrow and sadness, they don't have him as a support. And then what about separation? That is about what when we come to the end of this life here on planet earth. There are some that give no thought about death itself. And yet the Bible says, and it is appointed unto man once to die, then cometh the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. I remember hearing a story about the late Charles Coyle. And Brother Coyle was a great evangelist, and he held meetings all over this country. And for many years, he was the, the head of what was known then as the International Bible College. It's, it's now named the Heritage uh, Christian University today in Florence, Alabama. And Brother Cole was out knocking on doors on one occasion. He came to somebody's home and he tried to, he tried to talk to him about the Lord. And, and this person told him that he or she wasn't interested at that point in time. And so Brother Coyle, as he was leaving, stopped and he turned back. And then he said to that person, you know what? One day you're going to cross Jordan. That is, you're going to die. And you need to think about that. One day we all will come to that point where we will cross Jordan. That is, we're going to die. And when you step out into eternity, you want to talk about being hopeless and helpless in that feeling? You've never been in a situation as hopeless and helpless as that will be. Jesus in Matthew 25 pictures for us the unrighteous that's going away into everlasting fire. It's forever. There's no changing our state and no coming back when it's over because it's over. But now what about living with God? What about living for God? We, we talked about living without God in this world, but what about living with God and living for God? What about a life with Jesus? I said a moment ago that Jesus is the difference and, and we talked about people that live without God, but what about living with God? Now in Ephesians 2 and verse 13, Paul picks back up on this idea of what it means to have the Lord in our lives. And, and we talked about the state of the Gentile world, didn't we? And of course they had become the recipients of God's blessings. God had decreed in a long ago that he was going to save both men and women in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, and we're either Jew or Gentile. And so what is that that makes the difference? It was Jesus. Now, let's talk about the pardon that we have in Jesus. Look again at verse 11, beginning of Ephesians 2. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in this world. But now, the present state, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Did you know that Jesus has saved us by his blood? We are the recipients of his death on Calvary. When Jesus went to Calvary, he did so with the intent of shedding his blood so that our sins might be forgiven. We sing the song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Of course, you know the answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen again to what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. When we obey the gospel, that is when we come to Jesus the Christ, believing that he is the son of God, that changes everything. What do you need to do to become a New Testament Christian? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. That Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John 8, 24. And then we have to repent of every sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. And the Bible then says that those who believe and willingly repent of their sins are more than happy to confess the name of, of Jesus before others. Matthew 10, 32. And just like the eunuch in the long ago who says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Acts 8.37. And then we're immersed in the watery grave of baptism. Everything's ready. It's a believer's baptism. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16.16. 16. That's why we don't baptize infants. That's why we don't baptize babies. Because we understand that we had to be put we had to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And when we are baptized into Christ, we become the recipients of all the spiritual blessings that are spoken of in Scripture according to Ephesians chapter 1. Now Paul said it's in that state that we enjoy the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If you're going to wash away your sins, you had to sin. I have yet to learn of a child or an infant to know what sin is or to know the difference between right and wrong enough to be able to make that decision to believe and be baptized. That's why. All because of God's grace, he sent his son to die for our sin. God in his grace reached out to the human family and did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. What was that? To save us from ours. No wonder Paul would say in Ephesians 1 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so it's in Christ that we enjoy forgiveness. Jesus has saved us by his blood. And then secondly, Jesus has saved us in his body. Go down and look at verse 16 of our text. The Bible says, and that he might reconcile both unto God and in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. 
And, and Paul would say in Colossians 1.20 that Jesus had made peace for us through the blood of his Christ, the, the blood of his cross, so that we might enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus. And then we become a part of the body of Jesus. It's called the church. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. When you obey the gospel, God adds you to his divine body. In Ephesians 3, Paul points out that God's design was to save both Jew and Gentile so that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. God had made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and verse 3 that it would be through his lineage that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And both Jew and Gentile are the recipients of that promise made some nearly 4,000 years ago, if you will. And so we are saved by Jesus. Yes, by what? His blood. And Jesus not only saved us by his blood, but he saves us in his body. That, that's why when you obey the gospel, God adds you to the ecclesia of what is the called out the community of the saved, the church. Some will say, well, I, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I really don't want to be affiliated with any kind of church. You, you can't do that. Some would, some would say that that's what they want, but that's, that's all because Paul said in Ephesians 5.23 that Jesus is the Savior of the body. What body? The church. And had put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filled all in all. You can't be in Christ without being in his body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Somebody says, well, how many bodies are there? Ephesians 4, 4. The Bible always will answer the question that you... There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called and one hope of your calling. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we enjoy redemption and reconciliation. And where does that reconciliation come? Where does it take place? In the body, in the church. You see, prior to obeying the gospel, you were without hope. You were without God in this world. Alienated, estranged from God. And yet, in Christ, we now have fellowship. There's a second thing that we need to see. It's not only do we have pardon in Jesus, but we have a peace. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 14. Paul is talking about the man of peace here. Now, Jesus is the man of peace. Now, listen to him. For he is our peace, who has made both one and had broken down the middle wall or partition between us. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is the man of peace. Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 wrote about 750 years before Jesus ever came to this earth. And he said, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you remember reading of when Jesus was born? Do you remember... What Luke's account said about Jesus in Luke 2, 13 and 14, that suddenly there was, a, there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus came to bring peace to the human family. Jesus can give you peace. Paul said, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, not only do we read about the man of peace, but we read about the message of peace. Listen to verse 17. Paul said, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Jesus came presenting a message of peace. We talked this last week to the people whose lives have been disrupted by sin, whose lives that are literally coming apart at the seams. And we say, look, obey the gospel, live for Jesus, and you will have peace that passes all understanding. Paul said in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To know that I have peace with God. Now, think about the Jews and the Gentiles. There was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And in John chapter 4, we read about the hostility that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And yet in Christ, the idea is that there is peace. Not just between people, but between people and God. We enjoy peace with our maker, with our creator. To know that we have embraced a message of peace. To know that we enjoy all the very benefits and the blessings of being a child of God. There's a third thing that we notice, and it has to do with the provisions that we enjoy in Christ. First, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father. But listen to what Paul says in verse 18. For through him, that is through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. To know that we have a part of fellowship and that fellowship encompasses a relationship with God the Father. Jesus the Christ is the one that made fellowship with God possible. What did Jesus say? John 14, 6, I am the way the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that I can have fellowship with God the Father through Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the one who gives us access to the Father. He is the one that makes it possible for me and you to have fellowship with Almighty God. And then there is the fellowship in the family of God. Look at verse 19. Paul said, now therefore ye were no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That is, you belong to the family of God, divine family of Almighty God. You are a fellow citizen in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul talks about our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible also talks about how we enjoy a broad fellowship in the sense that we belong to the family called the family of God. 1 Corinthians 1.9. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you're a Christian... You belong to the house of God. You are a part of the household of God, the family of God. When I think about what it means to be a child of God, one of the encouraging things to me is to know that I'm a part of a larger family. 
It's not just this inner circle. It's not just who I pick and choose, but those of all baptized believers that are obedient to the will of God, that know a part of God's family. I know that a family is composed of the mother, father, brothers, and uncles, sisters, and aunts, but I'm talking about being a part of God's divine family. In John, 1 John 3, John said, Behold what manner of love that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, that is, the children of God. I'm a part of his family. And I have all the blessings and the favors that are in that family relationship. We understand about family relations and sometimes as children or grandchildren, we receive an inheritance at the death of our parents or grandparents. But the Bible says that as a a child of God, a part of the family of God, we, we have an inheritance and it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And in a very subtle way, Peter said, it's reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1.4. That's what it means to belong to the family of God and have fellowship with God. And so in closing today, I, I would ask the question, are you in Christ? Are you living with Christ? Are you living with God or are you living without God? Are you living without Christ or are you living in Christ? A spiritual life in Christ ends in eternal life. And if you're here today and you're not a child of God, I I want to encourage you to come to Christ. We had a wonderful thing to happen just this past Wednesday where Randall Diley came forward and expressed that he wanted to be baptized and sat down right there on the pew and he said, I, I asked him a question. I go, why? Why do you want to be baptized? He said, I want, I want to be in heaven with God and Christ. I, I want to be able to go to heaven. And I said, I appreciate your courage and I appreciate your willingness to, to let it be known before these many witnesses that were here that night that, that you, you want to live with God, with Christ in your life. So then we, we went back there and got him dressed, ready to go down into the waters of baptism. He died to sin that day. He was buried in that watery grave with Christ. And then he rose to walk in newness of life as a child of God. Thus added to the divine family, God's family. And what the beauty of that is, is that you can do that even this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're living without God, if you're living without Christ, you can do that very thing and put the Lord on a baptism for the remission of your sin. You know what you need to do. You know what's going to happen if you were to die tonight. So let's make the changes. It's your choice. I can't make you. I'd make everybody do it if I could, but I can't. I had to leave it up to you to make that choice. But you know what, you, you know what the difference is between living without God and living with God. Now it's up to you. Maybe you're already a child of God, but you wandered off. It can happen. The devil's relentless. He's not going to stop just because you're now a child of God. He's going to say, I'm going to have to try to win you back. He might work a little harder. And boy, he'll, he'll throw everything in your path. Cause you to stumble. And you go, ha ha, I got you. 
Well, you can repent. You can make things right. And we'll pray with you and for you as well. But it's up to you. Again, it's your choice. What will your answer be?